This is Anthems. My name is Tej Adelaide. I'm a writer and audio producer from London. I'm sitting in my room in North London, where I've been shielding for the last few months, as I have asthma and an autoimmune condition. I'm burning incense that a friend sent me in the post. Today it's clary sage, lavender and lemongrass. I find it helps to clear the air, to make it a little easier to breathe. Your word of the day is breathe. Sometimes at the end of a long day, period of activity or stress, my mum takes a deep breath in. There's so much in it, it lands as something between a lyrical yawn and a humid, empathetic sigh of thanksgiving to her body. Thanksgiving for making it through another day, thanksgiving for its continued endurance. It sounds like a song, and she might sing one. It might be an old Yoruba song, usually from church. Sometimes it comes with a prayer of sorts, or a proverb. She might chuckle at something wise or witty that her parents used to say. She might let us in on the joke. I'm in awe of these small islands of restoration and reconnection, of magic, of the multitudinal lives and life cycles and histories that spring forth from such a simple act. I laugh now with the realisation that when I'm stressed out, I also reach out for a song to transform moments under my breath. In an attempt to harness this magic, I've been taking singing lessons once a week with one of my favourite singers, Alice Sawadsky. We start with the breath. You take a deep one in and relax your shoulders. Next, I meet the muscle. I get familiar with the contours of my ribcage and I drop my breath into the muscle behind my sternum. I try it and it's exhilarating. It feels like my name, Ola Teju. It's Yoruba, meaning abundance. This muscle with no name is a trip, like a little Voldemort in my solar plexus, and I settle on naming it the vortex of good doom. My ribcage expands, and next you bring awareness to your back, or to your wings, as Alice calls them. A great unfurling takes place, and everything softens and pushes outwards. I want to tell you about the vast multitudes I have found in my own breath. In Yoruba, emi is both the soul and the act of breath. It anchors you in continuums across place and across time. Being Nigerian and British and growing up in London, my breath offers a small moment of remembering that I come from, as June Jordan would say, otherwhere, or to paraphrase a friend, other architectures. I wanted to sit with the remembering more, to be able to rest more comfortably in those architectures. So I call a friend in Nigeria, he was born into the Ifa tradition and is a practicing Babalao. He tells me that in Yoruba philosophy, the breath is supreme, that it is our duty whilst we are living to honor being in right relationship with our breath. To be in right relationship with your breath, he told me, you must go within, as in Yoruba, your breath connects you to your ancestors, to the spiritual realm. So I inhale and I think of lost kingdoms of extraction and conquest, of the resilience of old ways and the wisdom of water, of returnees and travellers, market women fighting with strategy and song against the colonial establishment and their unjust tax laws, of cowrie shells and tie-dye, 
of trumpets and firewood, of jazz-loving radio makers who remind me to ask tough questions about power, of teachers and carers and their networks of care, of dreamers who use music to survive, who made the case for pan-Africanism and reparations, who made it their business to bear witness to the long unfolding pains of slavery, who could build solidarities and critique anti-blackness just the same, who loved black people deeply, who didn't believe that the colonist map was the only territory for the imagination, who always asked me to look again, to feel again, of political prisoners who make the case for abolition and an end to imperialism from beyond the grave, who gave the last of their breath for political principles, for the promise of better for us, who gave because they cared and understood what it means not to have. When I inhale, I think with gratitude of my other wares, of my bloodline, of my people, and of all those who walk with me. My therapist would take me back to my breath a few times a session to regulate, to soothe the long histories and the death and the unsaid. We would trace the shape of each one. We would practice witnessing and breathe life into each of them. One night in a dream, I found myself in a library. My father had left a box for me on a desk. In it was a letter with one of the names he had given me. Rahimat from Al-Rahim in Islam, the face of God that reminds us of compassion and of mercy. I think he knew that I would need a close reminder. I get to know the muscles behind the back of my mouth, the soft palate. I take a breath and pay attention to all the muscles working in my body to make sound happen. Alice calls it interdependence. If you want to, you can sing from your hip or send a song to your little toe. Folding my soft palate, I create a small focus point of sound. Alice calls it the eye of Sauron, like in Lord of the Rings. I see a ball of light and I learn to feel where the resonance of sound lands. It might land behind my nose or the back of my head, for instance. To sing is to guide that ball of light around the dome inside your skull. I love how transcendent it feels. The irony of trying to find a sense of freedom through breathing during an airborne pandemic as an asthmatic isn't lost on me. I have had asthma since I was a child and I live with an autoimmune condition. Both have taught me survival skills that are incredibly helpful right now as I often have to slow down and take precautions to stay well. I have to work with the fact that my body functions differently. I think about interdependence and breath at a time like this, how much our respiratory wellness is connected to myriad factors, from social determinants of health to state abandonment. I think about the thousands of people who die each year from conditions related to air pollution emissions, how increasingly vulnerable we all are. In 2013, a little black girl named Ella Roberta passed away at the age of nine to a severe form of asthma that she developed at the age of seven. And though she had been healthy up until that point, she had one of the worst ever recorded cases of asthma and reports posited that her death was connected to the illegal levels of pollution on the South Circular in South London near where she lived. Ella's might be one of the first deaths ever attributed to air pollution. When I speak to her mother Rosamond, 
She tells me how funny, how sweet, and how kind Ella was. She tells me that COVID brings back difficult memories for her. I tell her about my journey with asthma, and she tells me about her incredible campaigning work. You must always continue fighting because you have everything to live for, she said. And I always say that to other patients who I meet, because I understand, having lived with someone who is also chronic, what it is like to fight to breathe. Usually most people won't even have a clue. People not being able to breathe is a worldwide issue and I set out with two questions. I wanted to find out why my daughter died and why she became as ill as she did. I never knew that depending on where you live, the air might be better or worse or how much race and how much class had to do with it or the health inequalities that black and ethnic minority communities deal with. What COVID has done is to make the invisible visible. For Rosamond, our capacity to breathe well is political. She says that clean air is a human right. She made links between the recent BLM protests and respiratory health, particularly as black and ethnic minority communities have died at a higher rate throughout the crisis. I think about how our collective respiratory health relies on interdependent struggles against environmental racism and towards a world of abundance and dignity where people are put before profit. I'm looking ahead now to winter and the crises we face. I'm thinking about how we might get through and how we get free. I remember Asian Crawley's writings on Black Pentecostal breath. He talks about otherwise possibilities and in a recent piece, describes otherwise as the practice of breath and breathing. To breathe for black life, black queer possibility, is protest and is prayer. Our breath is a site of resistance, of imagination, of critique, of transformation, a demand for better, a willingness to go on in spite of everything. I think about this in the vein of Audre Lorde's erotic, a deep well of knowing and remembering and witnessing that leaves us no other option but to make way for something else. Our breath is capacious and incantatory and generative. I think of breath as collective, as memory and as witness. In my most recent lesson, I learn more about my range. I can do a top F sharp. I don't know what that means, but apparently it's good. Alice tells me that from the smallest gaps in our mouth, we can make stratospheric sounds. I try it and it sounds like a whistle. I think of these whistles and these whispers, these slipstreams of sound that we carry, and the might and the knowledge and the challenge in them. I think of my mother's transformative songs and my own. Breathe. Definition. To draw air into and expel it from the lungs to feel free of restraint, to live.